Hello everybody and welcome to Ranked, the podcast where movie lovers come together to rank your favorite movies. Which movies will make you reach a cinematic orgasm? And which ones will leave a shit stain in the history of cinema? There's only one way to find out. Join us. My name is Caitlin Denny, filmmaker and archivist. And I'm Julian Vargas, filmmaker. We obsessively watch all the movies by one director, actor, writer, or under a particular theme and rank them from best to worst. Episode 3, part 3 of our Milos Forman filmography special. Forman's third period film takes place in 18... You know what? I think we need to introduce Watu. He's like the pet of the podcast. <laughs> Seriously. You're going to hear a little bird. You're in <laughs> there. He's, a one, he's our pet. He's, the, he's ranked official pet. His okay. name is Watu. And you're going to hear him now and then. Yeah, he squeaks With... a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, so I'll continue. Don't be alarmed by bird squeaking. Foreman's third period film takes place in 18th century France, where the upper crust wears insane corsets, take baths in glass vitrines, and are forced into music lessons for their sophisticated stature. Feruza Balk, Colin Firth, Annette Benning, and Meg Tilly make up the fucked-up love tetralogy that knows no bounds. Mertoy, a widow up to no good, bets her lover Valmont that he cannot seduce a married woman. Feruza Balk, then only 14 at the time of filming, gets mixed up in the sex games of adults when all she wants to do is be a teenager. Valmont is a very hard-to-find film, but definitely worth it if interested in the book it's based on, Les Liaisons Dangerous by Pierre Chauderlos de Laclos. That's quite Good the job. name. Good job <laughs> reading that name. But it's a famous book that um, many film adapta- adaptations have been made of. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it was a hard-to-find film. We had to buy it on, on iTunes. iTunes. That was the only way we could TV. find it. Yeah. Um, some places had VHS copies of it. But yeah, the library was... didn't have it. It was, yeah. You can't find it anywhere online to stream it. Right. So, I don't know. Let's talk about the, the uh, cast in this film is superb. I think that's one of the best things about the film. Is the cast and the acting, which is something that we see every time with um, with Milos Forman. Like he's just so great with actors, and again, this is another example of that. Um, I mean, especially I, I especially like Feruza Balk. I think she's probably one of my favorites in that film. She, her role, yeah. she's just so and good. She's fourteen. She I know. Was, I think um, off the tails of uh, Return to Oz. And she still has that kind of um, innocent but darkness to her. Yeah. Which I also think is interesting that she did The Return to Us and then she made this movie. Yeah. It obviously affected her career somehow because she kind of did one flop after another flop. Yeah, but they're cult, they're almost like cult status films. I don't know about, I don't know if Bellman is a cult movie. Let's make it a cult movie. I mean, we could. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people make it a cult movie if you want to do that. Make it. Um, so she, so Return to Oz was a flop. This was a flop. What was her next film after this? I don't know. The the other film that I know her for is The Craft. She was in several different TV movies. Um, small things that I haven't really heard of until you get to The Craft in 1996. 
and um, and then American History X in 1998, which of course was a um, huge hit. And and then the same year as American History X, she was in The Water Boy, which is really funny. I don't know if you remember her role that Adam Sandler I don't. movie. Um, she's pretty funny. Uh, and then Almost Famous. And then Almost the Famous, yeah. And aside from here, uh, then we see also Annette Bening, and, uh, a very young Annette Bening. She is real, really delicious in this movie. And, you know, she was, back in the day, she was unknown. She was just a theater yeah. actress. Yeah. This was, like, one of her first, like, big films, big yeah. roles, like a big director. Uh, Colin Firth is an interesting choice as the lead Valmont. I think it's pretty good he's, in it. He's pretty good. I don't know, like, how evil he is. I think he's supposed to be more evil in the book. I know? think so, too. He's kind of charming at the beginning, and then, I mean, once he starts doing things that are really shitty, then you just kind of feel a little repulsed I, by he's him. He's a little I was... repulsed. I'm a little repulsed, but also he's just kind of a goof. Like, he ends up being a little more, more of a farce rather than like a, ooh, I hate that guy. Well, he's a rapist goof, you know? Well, there's that, too. <laughs> um, so, I don't know about that, but... Meg Tilly, sister of Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, she's also really great in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you know that Colin Firth and Meg Tilly fell in love in real life on the set of this oh, film? Didn't know that. Yeah, so they play... Um, Meg Tilly plays the woman that Valmont... Has the bet to seduce with Annette Benning. Annette Benning plays the widow. Um, and uh, yeah, on the set, Meg Tilly and Colin Firth fell in love. They had a son a year later. They were together for like four or five years, and then Colin Firth left them. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly like Valmont. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that That's crazy? crazy yeah. Who else we got? We got Jeffrey Jones, our. He, yeah. he makes another appearance. He was in. The other Foreman film, mm-hmm. which one? Wait, which one was he? He's in. in he's in. He's in Amadeus. He's in Amadeus. Which, yeah, and he's great so in he's it. in another period period film of of Milos. And he's Foreman's. also playing sort of like an authority figure, like mm-hmm. a rich guy with power. But this time he plays an older man, a suitor named Gerkort, who is um, has an arranged marriage with Feruza Balk's character, who's fourteen years old. So there's something a little weird about that, because Jeffrey Jones was arrested for pedophilia. So real-life pedophile playing a pedophile in a film. Although, yeah. I guess, back in the day, it was acceptable pedophilia to marry a 14-year-old. But you, if you see it in a 2018 lens, that's pedophilia. Yes. So. And we kind of got, we were talking about, why is this so hard to find... Is it maybe because of him and the role that he plays? It's exactly. I think that kind of killed the movie in a while. It's like it's too creepy. Like it's too close to real life. Somebody that's accused yeah. of that and is playing one in the in the film. It's really, it's a little much. And also, the movie has a really a really disturbing rape scene of a underage girl, and I think that one's also like a hard one too. Yeah, but that's Colin Firth raping yeah but still here. like yeah. it's just part of the whole pe- pedophilia mm-hmm. combo yeah, that you get in this it. film they did do a body double for those scenes yeah but, but yeah, yeah it's still it's still gross. pretty disturbing and gross that that scene um yeah. i that was i know i had a hard time with this movie i think mostly because of that 
just seeing people creeping on this 14 year old and talking about like seeing Annette Benning trying to convince this other calling for her to sleep with her yeah well this is the book I know I know it's the book book. it's the book but still nevertheless I find it really creepy that the whole thing centers in basically the rape of this little girl and it's just well in the book um so he they he changed a few things from the book Mm -hmm. in the book um Feruza Balk's character gets pregnant and she miscarries and from Colin Firth's child Belmont's child and then she enters a convent Wow. So, but in the movie, she's pregnant at the wedding with Gercourt, Jeffrey you, Jones. You know, I understand that wanting to be faithful also to the story, keeping the characters and everything, but I kind of wonder if they would at least make her 18. I know, right? I really think that it still could have been good. Still like a young person when you're 18, you're yeah. really innocent. And right. I think it would have made her more palatable. Right. You know? She's She's too young. young. And she almost looks 11 or 12 in the film. I know. So. It's pretty disturbing. Um, The whole time I was like, this is Cruel Intentions. It's Cruel Intentions is based off of the same book as well. Um, Ryan Felipe playing the Valmont character. And Sarah Michelle Gellar playing Annette Bening's character, Mertois. Um, I almost think that. And I don't think that Ryan Felipe is a better actor than Colin Firth, but I think he makes a better Valmont well, than Colin Firth does. But that's, you know, a contemporary telling of it, the story. Know, like, Cruel Intentions was one of the films that kind of marked my sexual awakening. I literally went to see that film because I knew Ryan Felipe had a nude oh, scene. Oh, really? Is it his butt? Yes. So. <laughs> that's amazing. But... I don't know, Valmont, I, I, I had a hard time with this film. It was, I had a hard time engaging and fully kind of like, I didn't want to, I had a hard time just like being like in favor of any of the, of the characters because, because of the concept of, because the pedophilia aspect of, pedophilia aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I almost, you know, I had some difficulties with this movie too, but I think it's because they end up making the rape and the pedophilia and all of that into a farce, like almost a comedy, yeah. a little goofy, rather than it being like pure evil, like it is apparently in the book. I have not read the book, but yeah. from my research, it is related as more pure evil rather than silly, funny affair sort of a thing. And that kind of pulled me out of it, as well as, like, the craft of the film is so on point. Like, the cinematography, yeah. the lighting, the art, art direction, direction is it's amazing. Sim- it's like Amadeus a little bit. Yeah. Similar. Amazing art direction. That That's also on point, that the story being even a little bit muddled and washed out yeah. is very obvious, and I think that's what happened. And I think it also suffers from the same thing that a lot of... Uh, Foreman's movies, American films suffer. It, it could have been a little bit shorter, and I think sometimes it kind of loses tension at times because it kind of gets a little bit sluggish at points, the film, and I think it could have gone a little bit faster, and I think it would have just built the tension better at times. Yeah. Do you know David Duchovny was considered for the role of uh, Velmont? I did not. That and, would have been a very different yeah. movie. And Michelle Pfeiffer was supposed to have Annette Bening's character. But she didn't. She declined it because instead she went to do dangerous liaisons. Liaisons. The Stephen Fierce, Stephen Fierce uh, film, based which, on the same book. Which it's based, the same character. And she made the right decision because that movie was a hit, and Valmont was a big flop. 
Good for uh, you, Michelle Fagan. Yeah. But I will say, I haven't seen the I haven't seen seasons, it. have you? Um, no. But I think Annette Bening was incredible in this movie. I mean, they're both great actresses. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer is yeah. amazing, too. And, yeah. and it also, I think, something that affected this film, too, was the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer's film opened first. And they're kind of similar, so... Mm, like the same story. Why does that always happen? It happens, um, similar stories yeah. get made around the same time and I think it's just, sometimes it's coincidence sometimes it's a trend it's just like the cultural thought yeah that moment yeah um, and I think also the last thing uh, that I would like to say about the fact that it was a flop is that this wasn't as devastating for Milos Forman because in his in his um, native country the communist regime died regime the communist regime ended so he says in his, his biography that even though he normally would have been extremely devastated dealing with such a failure in you know with his film, he was uplifted because he was so happy was ab- ab- about that you know about the his yeah something that was happening historic was happening historically. So, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. 1996, The People vs. Larry Flint tells the story of pornographer Larry Flint as he builds his XXX hustler magazine empire. It retells his eccentric legal battles, especially one against evangelical Christian reverend Jerry Falwell. Um, The film was followed by great controversy, sparked by a New York Times op-ed led by Gloria Steinman, condemning Flint, Oliver Stone, the producer, and Milos Forman for making the film. According to her, it was sanitizing the image of uh, of Larry Flint. Uh, some blame the box office disappointing on the film on the letter. Others simply think that nobody really wanted to see a movie about Larry Flint. Despite the reception, the film was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor for Woody Harrelson, Best Director for Milos Forman, and Courtney Love got her got herself a Golden Glove nomination for Best Supporting Actress. So, there you go. So it was a flop on opening week weekend. It was a overall? flop. It's it's overall mm-hmm. considered a flop. I mean, I yeah. think now it kind of has. A, I would call this a cult classic. It definitely has like a cult following. Um, but it wasn't. Yeah. And when it came out, it wasn't successful. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, the Courtney Love nomination blows my mind. It doesn't blow my mind. I actually <laughs> it blows love, my I, mind, William. I thought she was great. In it, Oof. I I love this <laughs> yes. film. That's I good. think he, I think it is the most entertaining film of all, of all his American films. What? Okay. Um, cool. I <laughs> I thought the acting was fucking amazing. I thought Woody Harrelson mm-hmm. is so charming in this role. I thought he was charming? amazing. I thought he was. I thought he was charming. Oof! Even for a pornographer, he made it charming somehow. And he was, was I mean, he, he becomes a creepazoid towards the end. I th- well, not towards the end in many times, but I do think he brings like some charm to this person that probably in real life wasn't as per- as charming. He does bring that element. Mm. Oh, de- I agree with that. Um, he probably made him seem yeah. a little nicer. And I thought Corny Love was amazing. I Why? think she was actually yeah, she might have been playing herself in at, at a certain. I just thought she fit really well in the role and. As a pop culture, uh, uh, I think this movie is kind of like a pop culture explosion almost. And I like how Here, I think bringing okay. up a, like a real life pariah, because for many people, Corny Love is a pariah. In a movie about someone that is considered a pariah, I thought it, I thought there was something smart about it. 
And well, it's definitely clever on Foreman's. Yeah, you know, and the I think casting and I think she did a really great job sure. for the most part. I think there were some parts of the act like I think she's really great almost the entire film. I think towards the end, once she gets AIDS and she starts like kind of like stumbling around and she can barely walk, that part I thought it was a little bit too much. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if it was her. It could have been both. It could have been her acting, or it could have been Foreman directing her like that. Like we don't know. Because it does seem a little bit exaggerated. It's like a little bit much. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I completely enjoyed her. And I thought she and, and Woody Harrelson had a, had great chemistry. Uh, they did. Uh, they they worked together and, well. And then Crispin mm-hmm. Glover is in it. And he's so he's good. He's great in it. Yeah, he's great. I mean, and, he's always great. And, and also Weird Woody Harrelson's brother, who plays Larry Flynn's brother in the film. I also thought he was great. And I mean, yeah. I And I found the whole thing incredibly entertaining Edward Norton is in it and he plays the attorney and he's also really good he's okay I, I thought he was, was kind of forgettable I didn't think he was forgettable oh, I thought he was great <laughs> um Vincent Scaravelli also I, I his, know he was good in this and I mean he has a very small role but he's he, you know I thought there was a lot of humor in the film a lot of the dialogue <laughs> is really fucking funny I kind of thought Okay, maybe I might like this movie a little bit better if I think about Love's performance in relation to Elizabeth Berkeley's performance in Showgirls. It's an over-the-top character, <laughs> too. And I think it also reminds me of of how of his early films, in a way, when he would mix actors, real actors, with non-actors. Mm-hmm. He's well, like doing that again. Courtney, Courtney Love thinks she's the best at everything. I don't think... I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't does. say that. <laughs> I think you have your own personal beef with Courtney Love. I don't have that. So I think that might hinder you from, I don't know. I was you so might, open. But it's also pretty yeah. fair that you might just not like it. Yeah, it's fine. I was open because I, I knew how popular this, this film was. And I had you watched it before I did. And you were saying you're going to love it. And I it. loved it when I, I was, was when I was it. a kid. Mm-hmm. And I still love it. Oh, maybe you have um, a little bit of nostalgia. It, it's it. possible. Um, you know, talking about Courtney Love. Courtney Love, when she was casted for this film, mm-hmm. they didn't want to take her because of her drug problem, because they didn't want to pay for the insurance. But yeah. Willie Harrelson and Milos Foreman and Courtney Love herself, they took money out of their own pocket to pay for the insurance to have her in the film. And Courtney Love actually uh, gives a lot of credit for her sobriety to Milos Foreman. Did she get sober well on yes, the film? Yes, she was. That was the condition well, for her great. to work. She, like like Milos Foreman awesome. told her. You are going to make this movie, but the only condition I'm going to let you do it and put money for your insurance is if you are not doing drugs while you make this film. I think think she was great. (laughs) And this was like a new, like a career renaissance for her. Like she did this and then then she had the album Celebrity Skin. I'm not trying to take anything away from her. I think that's an awesome story that she, you know, improved her life based on this film. That's great. And, um, but... I think we should maybe talk about the whole controversy behind it. So I'm going to read a few segments of the op-ed of um, Gloria Steinman against this film and against Milos Forman and Oliver Stone. Um, I would recommend, you know, you guys to go and find it online. You can find it online and make your own opinion of it and read it in its entirety. So it, it says something like this. Let's be clear. A pornographer is not a hero. No more than a publisher of the of Ku Klux Klan books or a Nazi on the internet. No matter what constitutional protections he secures, 
and Mr. Larry Flynn didn't secure much, much less describe him in studio press releases as the era's less crusader, which is how Columbia Pictures describes Mr. Flint. Mr. Flint's daughter, Tanya, 31, is, also, is so alarmed by the film's dishonesty that she joined a woman who picketed in the opening in San Francisco. Mm. She also pu publicly accused Mr. Flint of having sexually abused her when she was a child, a charge that wow. he vehemently denies and, a, and attributes to her mental problems. So that gives you a sense, more or less, that's what she, some of the experts, it's a little bit longer, um, but, you know, it gives you a, a okay. sense of, the, of her And point. now I'll read Foreman's, and then this, uh, an excerpt, excerpt of Foreman's rebuttal, I can, I can see it. So he says, Foreman says, artists have always been drawn to the compelling mystery of ambiguity and of gray areas. The certainties of black and white are best left to the clergy. It is regrettable that Hustler depicted Miss Steinem in such a vulgar and objectionable manner, but it is also regrettable that she uses my work as a weapon of retaliation. Miss Steinem ends her article as follows. Fortunately, each of us has the First Amendment right to protest. Exactly. This is why the Supreme Court, not Larry Flint, is the hero of my movie. So that's interesting. Oh, that yeah. just gave me a little chills there. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of controversy I see. This. I mean, I see a lot of logic in Steinem's um, argument, and I would say mostly agree with her. But that doesn't mean that you can't make films about right. awful people. Yeah. Um, I, the I, stories I, about murderers, like, that's just part of our culture is that we we are fascinated, and I think it, it's actually good for our society to hear these stories and to know these stories as moral tales almost. Um, but to take a stance on the morality of who Larry Flint is, I don't know him personally. There are only, there are so many allegations. My, my like first impression, my first instinct is that I don't like him. I don't like the abuse of women, obviously. I don't like his reaction to rape that's happening because of things that he's done or inspired by things that him and his publication have done. I think that's awful. And there's one thing I do like about him that was depicted in the movie is that he was all about women not shaving themselves for a little while, like about the hairier the better, and I really appreciate that. A lot of I his covers actually cool. show a lot of pubic bush, hair. Lots of bush. That's cool. But um, other than that, I think he's a pretty despicable, gross dude. Um, but on the other hand, you know, he's letting women decide for themselves whether they want to be part of this and to make money off of it but also there's a complete exploitation factor of that too so i mean this is obviously a huge um thing that people are still arguing about today with sex workers and mm -hmm. and, and porno in the pornography industry and who is exploited and who isn't whose decision is it and who's not are people forced into it are they not and I think it runs the gamut. I think Foreman's correct in saying that it's not a black and white issue. It's it's a lot of gray gray areas here, and you can't make one huge statement and blanket statement. I don't know. What do you What do you think? I think I'm on. I can see both sides, um, mm -hmm. like their point, and I think they both have points that are valid. Um, but I think. I think I'm more on Milos Forman's side on this one. Um, I think okay. that my I think the thing where I really disagree with Steinman is the fact that 
I think Steinman, she's really against pornography. She's anti-pornography. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm not anti-pornography. I don't, I do think pornography can have a lot of negative effects in our society. And it can be, you know, it can be bad for, you know, it can be bad for women. It can be bad for men. But I still think that, you know, it's a free country and if people want to do that, they're, they're welcome to do is, it as long as they're not forced to do it. Is and, Steinem anti-pornography as far as, like, um, the users looking at pornography or is she anti-pornography as in the industry and exploitation of the workers? She seems she, she thinks uh, pornography is like an exploitation of women, which I see that part of it, of course. Yeah, traditional I mean, pornography. I mean, pornography is an exploitation of women and, and men, too. Like, you know, you can talk about gay porn or whatever. It's always an exploitation. It's part of what it is. I mean, pornography um, is just like alcohol. It's just like, it's like a drug. You know what I mean? It's not good for you. It's not necessarily good for a society. Well, but why not? You what's, know what I mean? What's bad about about learning about sexuality and watching sex and things like that. There's nothing wrong well, inherently well, it's wrong m- about It's mostly that. the way it's portrayed. Pornography, right. and, like, it's very... Right. And th- things are changing in the pornography industry yeah. today. There are a lot more women who are who are leading pornography That's video true. and film so it's, companies. It's, there's a lot of... A lot more ethics But, like, involved. back in the day... But back in the day, Larry yeah. Flint's day, this is, unfortunately, yeah. a very normal way that these pornography magazines and, and eventually... You know, well, and they show like an unrealistic, an unrealistic uh, view on how people usually have sex, and you know it has and some negative, like yeah. negative connotations. I mean, porn is like a whole thing that you can analyze because it has different. There's, there's right. different shades of it, different types of porn, and I feel like there's some that is probably really negative, and there's some that might not be as negative. You know, so but I, think I wouldn't, this, I wouldn't uh-huh. never make a blank statement that I'm anti-pornography right. because I no, don't. No, neither would I. And and I don't know if Gloria Steinem does ever make that blanket statement. And I I don't know. But, but I think she is definitely very anti... Um, she doesn't want Larry Flint to come out looking like a hero. And she obviously thought that that's well, what the film was And, and she, she does condemn people like Larry Flint and also people like, uh, Hugh, like Hugh Hefner. Because she does think that those two magazines exploit women. Yeah. And I do agree with her. They do. they do. But there's also, it's also like we're in a free country. And if a woman wants to pose in whatever ways and wants to be at the gaze of men, and if that's what she wants to do, and she's going to so pay, yeah. just fucking do it. I don't, I don't, so that's the problem that I have with it. I don't think well, we should, there's yeah. issues with it, but I don't think it's, it's that black and that white. It's not that black and white. Yeah, because the black and there white. are women who, if you're famous enough, you know, like Dolly Parton, you can go ahead and choose like, I want to be a playboy and get to choose how much body you want to show. Yeah, but then there's it, women who are, have been in playboy who have been duped and, and have been, um, truly exploited yeah. and haven't been paid their fair share. And exactly. Like that. So, so, so it's not a black and white thing i think right. i'm anyway, obviously so... i'm obviously against like all this stuff with the cartoons for example like depicting any kind of violence against women i find that repulsive and i think it's mm-hmm. completely gross uh i do wonder if things change for hustler magazine after he had his born again christian era when he released that really infamous um meat grinder picture like the cover mm-hmm. yeah like, right and like, that was when he was saying that he was not going to objectify women anymore or something. So, because there were also, it seems like there were also some some uh, depictions of, like, interracial sex, like cartoons. That, like, the depictions of the black men, they, they seem to be kind of racist as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later on, he was also kind of, like, 
he got some applause because he was the first one portraying like woman in like an erotic black woman in an erotic way like even before playboy did it and he was also portraying real life uh interracial relationships so it's you know and we don't know what the extents of these cartoons were like we don't know if if they still do i don't think they do it like that and actually i tried to look for these cartoons and you can't find them anywhere Um, and the fact that you can't find them anywhere there's probably because they're pretty ugly and and they're pretty bad but i don't know so there's a lot of information that i don't know and in terms of the accusation uh that um that his uh, daughter um, oh yeah against Uh him actually there's a little bit more to the story she actually became a christian anti-pornography activist and she was uh disowned by by larry flint because obviously he doesn't Mm -hmm. well why did she become a christian anti-pornography i don't don't know i don't know maybe because uh, her father treated her terribly and she wanted nothing to do with that we don't know or she might as well you don't know that could be a truth we don't know or she might also be just became like a crazy Christian. Like, we don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what, according to Larry Flynn, he has denied all the charges. Mm-hmm. And he, apparently he passed the polygraph test on it. Those and he says, nothing. and he says that he possessed a tape recording that his daughter is admitting that he she was doing all this for the money. So I guess it's so shady. I don't like any of this. I don't like it. I do like this movie, but I definitely see like the conflict Jim Carrey leads in Foreman's 1999 Man on the Moon, a biopic about the late, eccentric, and brilliant comedian Andy Kaufman. Kaufman was famous for his portrayal of immigrant mechanic of mysterious origin, Latka, on Taxi, as well as his Mighty Mouse opening in his stand-up and his eventual foray into the world of female wrestling. He called himself the intergender wrestling champion of the world. The film, famously plagued by the leading actor's stubbornness, Jim Carrey, was a bitch to make and flopped at the box office. However, it uncovers the beautiful life from beginning to end. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> However, what are you laughing about? My The Beautiful Life? The Beautiful Life is funny. It's But it's, he did lead a beautiful, it's, he lived know, this a, complicated, just, crazy, beautiful life. All right. However, on. it uncovers the beautiful life from beginning to end of one of show business's weirdest minds. You know, the first thing I thought when I saw this movie was Hold like, on. wow, that's a beautiful life. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! <laughs> 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 I seriously think he did leave. I mean, maybe it was, you know, obviously <laughs> pl- troubled and a little tragic, but he lived this, like, little bit of everything went yeah. through his life. A lot of, So yeah. it's pretty beautiful. He had a lot Shut going on. Shut the fuck up! Yeah. <laughs> All right. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So, yeah, and so this film kind of covers the um, beginning of Kaufman's life when he's a little kid, kind of first getting into mm-hmm. show business and putting on his own little shows at home um, until his, his until death. Until passing. Yeah. Um, so it's a true biopic in that sense. It was written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, so not written by Milos Forman at all. Um, cinematography by Anastas Mikos and music by R.E.M. If you believe, it's a great song. They put a man on the moon. So and it works great. It, it works great in the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it really does. So Milos also included a lot of his regulars in the cast in this film, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because a lot of his regulars, or at least I'll say two of them, Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd, who are in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, they were on Taxi with Andy Kaufman. So he's got this connection to the real Andy Kaufman because of those two actors. 
Danny DeVito actually produced this film, so you can you can tell his devotion and love for Andy Kaufman in his uh, role in this film as well as George Shapiro, Kaufman's manager. Uh, Vincent Scarvelli makes an appearance. Sidney Lassick from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is mm-hmm. also in it, as well as Muse Small, all from Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Courtney Love plays... She's back. Plays... <laughs> favorite. Jim Carrey... Oh, uh, Sorry. Uh, Andy Kaufman's girlfriend, Lynn Margulies. I, I wasn't as bothered by her in this film. I thought she did a pretty good job because she kind of... It's not much of a role. She kind of faded in the background it's, a little it's bit. Definitely, she definitely <clears throat> does. It's, yeah. Compared to the performances of everybody else, I like that she well, kind of There's not much to her. I don't think there's... It, to me, that role was like a thankless job. Like, like a thankless role. Like, she barely does anything. It's like a... Yeah. It's like the typical girlfriend character. Like, just like she's there mm. for support, but there's not much depth to her character. I think that. the real Lynn Margulies was a lot more interesting a lot more than depth it's probably. And a lot more interesting. But, I agree. Um, she kind of gets the yeah. short end of the stick in this film a little bit until the end when yeah, a little when bit Andy Kaufman gets sick and you kind of learn yeah. more about her and their relationship. Um, so, but yeah, I learned a. L- I knew about Andy Kaufman. Like, I Taxi's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I grew up watching, I've seen every single episode several times, and I loved that character, Latka. And I always, as a little kid, I thought that that was his real accent, and <clears> that yeah. I didn't know who, in, you know, I saw his name on there as Latka, but I thought he was really like foreign, a or... foreign guy from a mysterious country. They never say what country he's from, Got it. although I think it's supposed to be like Eastern Europe or something, Hungary or something like that. Maybe Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia, there you go, <laughs> maybe. Um, so I always thought that he was really like that. Anyway, um, I had since learned that that was actually Andy Kaufman, and I didn't really know that much about his life. I knew he did yeah. this female wrestling It was shtick. pretty hilarious. That was pretty funny. I, I, I especially <laughs> like that scene when he goes to the whorehouse, yeah. and he just wants to wrestle with the prostitutes. Yeah. It's so funny. It really shows the, um, he was a little messed up. I mean, he, he was, he, he was, was an eccentric. He was an eccentric and he was like a child his whole life, basically, which yeah. I actually think is a really amazing thing about him. He kept his, his innocence, although I think sometimes it backfired on him oh, yeah. a little bit. It was obnoxious at times, I have to say. sometimes, yeah. Um, the script of this film is pretty standard. Yeah. It's a pretty standard biopic script. It is. It's pretty boring. It, it hits all the marks, but it it's, does. there's nothing crazy about it or unique about it so much. Yeah. But I think that the direction, Milos Forman's direction, is what kind of makes this movie shine a little bit more it's, than it would have. I feel like him. it's very similar to, I think he's almost kind of wanting to repeat the formula that he, that he had for uh, Larry Flint. For Larry Flint, yeah. Uh, although this one's more, you know, it comes from, like, uh, childhood to his dead. Um, but it's definitely a more self-involved in terms of the main character than Larry Flint, because, you know, in Larry Flint, you have, like, the character of Edward Norton, you know, a little bit of his character, a, lot of, a little bit of corny love. Yeah. This one's just all about Andy Kaufman. Like, yeah, all right. the other characters are just literally really supporting him right because you don't really get to know a lot about their lives or what's going on it's really all about uh, but the the peripheral characters do make 
do make amazing performances. Oh, yeah, like, especially Danny DeVito is amazing. Like, Paul yeah. Giamatti. Oh, well, I think Paul Giamatti is the real He's great shining too. star in this movie. Besides Jim Carrey, I think um, Paul Giamatti really stands out. I think even maybe more than Jim Carrey at times. He's just amazing in it, even though yeah. his role is pretty small. He plays Andy Kaufman's... Um, Andy Kaufman's uh, partner in crime, part, uh, best friend and writer, uh, Bob Zamuda. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I maybe about a year ago watched this film that came out called Jim and Andy: The Great Beyond. Oh, you saw Did it. you watch it? I, I didn't want to watch it to be honest. Oh, man. Well, it goes into the making of this film. It's they were filming back behind the scenes uh-huh. during the making of this film. And the, this uh, <clears throat> making of documentary that came out um, also has interviews with Jim Carrey interspersed throughout. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about Jim Carrey from The Mask. I'm talking about the new Jim Carrey. Okay. The existential Jim Carrey, which I think is just such bullshit. I really don't like this new phase that he's going into mm-hmm. where he's like, we're all one, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of like a cheesy... Um, continental philosophy existentialism that people get really into when they're 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. Is that I stuck up of me to say? I don't no, know. No, whatever. It is how you feel. It is how you It's valid. It's pretty <laughs> cheesy. Anyway, so the film really shows that Jim Carrey made the shooting of Man on the Moon pure hell for Milos Forman. Poor really? Milos. Oh my god. I mean, you gotta watch it because you will, your heart will cry for Milos. He, at a certain point, was like, I can't do this anymore. I He almost gave up. Wow. Because Jim Carrey would not get out of character. Oh, God. He was always Andy Kaufman. That's so annoying. Until days where he was playing Tony Clifton, this oh, character that... Oh, thank you. Who is worse. Yeah, who is even worse. He's this, uh, you know, character that Andy Kaufman would play on stage who was like a lounge, lounge think, singer comedian dude. That's why I really didn't want to watch this movie because... I just, it's just so obnoxious when actors do that. It's like, come on, man, you're fucking, who gives a shit? You're part of the team, you're here to make this freaking movie, you need to, I don't give a shit well, that you have to be, like, uh-huh. like you have to be in character the whole time. That sounds like bullshit Well, Jim Carrey so says, to defend himself, he says that he was possessed. Well, I don't Andy give a Huffman. shit. I don't, sh- that sounds like bullshit <laughs> it's to bullshit. me. It's bullshit. He says he was possessed. And Whatever, that he Jim was Carrey. Tr- he was truly Andy Kaufman, who's being possessed by his Whatever. spirit. Whatever. Which I, you know, I can believe in things like that, but I just think that's bullshit it's obnoxious. for this. It's obnoxious. And it's obnoxious. Yeah. Um, he made it a spectacle um, because of that. And maybe, you know, got some good performances out of it because of that. Yeah. But it really, I think I mean, he was good in it. He was believable. Yeah. And I think he pissed off a lot of people in the movie, which Andy Kaufman really did in real life sometimes because he was such a And that might have worked person. at a certain extent. Right. Um... The wrestler Lawler, who's in the film, um, who was an actual wrestler that mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman uh, challenged he on was several, great. Uh, several occasions. He was great, and he was the real guy. And I guess him and Jim Carrey, uh, Jerry Lawler, I will say, um, him and G- Jim Carrey actually got into a big fight on the wow. set as well. So it was kind of like mimicking what had happened. So I think it was very weird and eerie for a lot of the actors who were yeah. on set. 
um, people are crying in in the documentary. They're oh crying god. like, "Oh my god, I think it's really him." How, how is Courtney Love in this? Was she was she freaking out? In when the documentary, or they in the documentary, she loved it. She's like dancing with Jim Carrey as he's in character. She was all about it. Well, he, so. she plays the girlfriend, so maybe at least he was being nice to her. So. Right? Yeah, he was. He wasn't trying to piss her off. <laughs> um, so, kind of. I don't think you want to piss off Courtney Love. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Jim Carrey was very nice to her. Maybe too nice. Anyway, um, yeah, so that kind of brings an eeriness to his role. Yeah. Um, playing Kaufman. Um, and I was almost thinking, like, maybe if this this might be his gateway into more, like, serious and odd <laughs> film roles that he ended Whatever. up doing. Right? Don't you think? <laughs> I know. It's so annoying when, like, comedy actors, they want to be serious and taken seriously. It's Who like... else are you thinking of? I don't think. To be honest, Jim Carrey is, like, the greatest example of that. Yeah. He's trying so hard. Like, Robin Williams did it a little bit. A little bit. And he was good. And but he was, he was good. But he didn't yeah. make a big deal of it. Right. Jim like, Carrey's making this big deal. Yeah. Anyway, um, his previous film, Jim Carrey's previous film to this, was the underrated and never discussed Simon Birch. Do you... Had, I didn't see that. Oh, my God. Okay. People go see Simon Birch. It's good? Yeah, it's really good. Okay. Um, and that's kind of a serious role okay. i guess that he plays but you know he pl- he did me myself and irene directly following oh, yeah. this in the grinch movie so he didn't oh go, that's good he went back to he his went roots. back to that's comedy good. stuff because maybe because this was a flop um and then he ended up doing internal sunshine of the spotless yeah. mind in 2004 so that's it took All a little right. while to get back into the serious um, kind of roles going back to the film itself like in general i was entertained by parts of it uh, I do think sometimes it feels kind of like the standard biopic in a sense, yeah. but I did learn a lot, and I think sometimes I was feeling as uncomfortable as the people that experienced Andy Kaufman did, and I think the movie was really good at that. Like sometimes the character was really fucking obnoxious, yeah, and you kind of go through it, but it's you know it's true to what was happening. I also mm-hmm. like the fact that they brought the real cast from Taxi Driver. I loved- it was, uh, it's just Taxi, not Taxi Driver. Uh, sorry. Not, I know. Ta- sorry. Taxi Driver, that's the... Um, Martin Scorsese film. Yeah. Sorry. Taxi. I thought it was good that they brought the, the cast. It was, kind of like a, it was kind of like a meta yeah. moment. Yeah. You know what really I mean? Cool. And I thought it was cool. I like that. The sure. art direction is really cool, too, mm-hmm. in this film. Yeah. And I really love that scene at the end where he does his last show, that really big show. Yeah. I thought it was one of the best scenes in the movie. And the end was pretty cool, too. We're not going to give it away, but... Uh, so, you know, I was entertained by it. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's Miller's Foreman's best film in the world, but it's an effective biopic, and it does I, does the job. It's, it's good, but it's also... I wouldn't call it, like, your typical biopic, because I think there's no. some that are really your typical biopic that are really kind of cliche, and... Yeah. Because this one never never gets... This one never gets, like, saccharine or, like, schmaltzy. It doesn't right. go there, so... It, it's... Oh, there goes Birdie. Um, it, it's definitely... It's got a weird edge to it, but yeah. it doesn't totally feel... I think, you know, Jim Carrey basically hijacked this film, as we were talking about, and you can kind of tell that, you know... Foreman lost a little bit of control, at least in the first, like, three quarters of the film. Once Carrie's character gets, he gets sick, basically, in this movie. And once it gets towards the end of the film, you can kind of feel Foreman taking over again. And maybe that's because of yeah. K- Carrie kind of, like, lost. Calming the fuck he, down. Like, calm down, yeah. Yeah. Um, the budget on this film was $82 million. It made $7.5 million Ouch. on opening weekend and $32 million gross sales. But so now it's it kind of like a cold classic, too. It is, yeah. So. Especially because of the REM 
soundtrack, I think, oh, which that kind of keeps it and, alive. And probably a documentary also kind of helped. And this documentary helped it, too, yeah. yeah. Get that status. Yeah. Um, Foreman couldn't decide between Jim Carrey and Edward Norton for the lead role. Oh, and so he, he left did. it up to the studio. Yeah. They made the right choice, I yeah, think. Yeah, Even though he was... Yeah, even though he was... Dick during yeah. this. Um, Man on the Moon, people. Man on the Moon. Goya's Ghosts. This 2006 film is Milos Forman's last film, another fantasy biopic like his 1984 Amadeus. It concentrates on a real character, Spanish artist Goya, engaging in fictional actions, becoming an almost guardian angel for Natalie Portman's character, Ines, who becomes a victim of the Spanish Inquisition. Javier Bardem plays Lorenzo, who is pretty much the bad guy. Um, it is Foreman's worst rated movie to date, oh. holding a 30% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. This was a Spanish-U.S. production collaboration. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like it um, It grossed about $2 million in Spain, a million in Italy. Seems like it did okay in terms in, of... in the United States. A box office. Uh, is that okay? No, yeah, I think no. that's really bad. It's really bad, especially given I don't I don't see the budget on here but probably given the amount of money they had to pay all these amazing actors now yeah, Portman, Javier Berman, Stone Skyrim, Randy Quaid yeah. you know and then all of the, the art the costumes and the locations I mean it probably cost a pretty fucking penny to make this movie and they made basically nothing off of it so yeah. there's that which is sad because it's his last film it's his last well it's his last feature um, film feature film yeah you know Whatever. You can't all go out with a bang. Yeah. He did enough. He did enough. Um, this movie... Okay, I've recently been questioning the talents of Natalie Portman yeah. after I saw Annihilation, um, which I, I like that movie fine. I love but that it, movie. It, but it made, me, um, it made me question Natalie Portman as an actress. I'm like, is she good? And so now, now that whenever I see her, I kind of... I look at her a different way, and in this movie, oh God, I don't. She's really wacky in this movie. To be honest, I don't think this is anyone's greatest moment. No, I don't think anyone's particularly good in this movie. I don't think Milos Forman is great That's as a director fair. in That's this fair. movie. I don't think mm-hmm. Javier Bardem is great in it. I don't think Natalie Portman no. is great in it. Javier Bardem is like playing it's like a cliche a, a bad cliche, guy. Yeah. And he's just, there's no depth to his character. And, and Stellan Skarsgård oh, as Goya worst. is just, like, really just it's ter- He's flat. terrible. It's just so just flat. completely flat. He was, he was the worst thing of the movie, I thought. Uh, and I like him. I like him a lot. But yeah, not in this just, film. But yeah. also, I don't think it's necessarily all fault of his own. Like, I think the script is just not very good. No. And just and, and just they depict Goya as this goody tissue almost kind of guy, like trying to save everyone. It's I like know. even so the lame. like evil people he's trying to save at certain points. Um Yeah. I will say it was cool to see a movie about Francisco Goya. I didn't know that much about his life and I love his paintings and drawings. Um, yeah, and his prints. But so it was kinda it, cool to learn about I, that, but I could have just read a book about him instead. I thought it was a big disappointment. Um, especially because I actually really, Goya is one of my, it's one of my favorite artists. Yeah. I love a lot of his drawings, especially. Yeah. Uh, they're very dark and eerie. They're amazing. Yeah. yeah. Even his paintings too, they're Well, that was dark. my favorite scene in the film is when all of the clergy members from the Catholic church are like, who's making these 
prints and selling them and they're sacrilegious and all this kind of stuff and just like seeing how the Inquisition was responding to his artwork was kind of cool. That was my favorite it was, scene. Yeah, anyway. it was a little bit cool but I mean overall I just thought just because Goya's work is so dark and is so great like if you're going to make a movie about Goya you got to bring that to the movie itself as yeah. well and I don't think it does that. I think the even the production design is not that great. Also, yeah. I think this wasn't shot in film. It definitely, you can tell it's like video. It mm -hmm. doesn't have the same kind of, I don't know, quality of his other films. Right. Um, and it's just like a terrible script. It has some good moments, but I, overall, I thought it was, it was a big disappointment. Yeah, it's it gets very um, confusing to the story because you think Goy is going to be the main. Character. character but it's not about him and at all he's kind of peripheral there's nothing but it shouldn't be natalie called portman, goya's ghost really yeah and then natalie portman and javier bardem aren't really the leads either nobody's really a lead in this film and no. that's fine you can have an ensemble cast but everybody it it, but it's just it's just bad i don't know what else to say um i also there's something that really kind of bothers me whenever you make when you make a movie in English of something that was obviously in another language and another culture, it always feels really kind of clunky. And it, well, Amadeus the, does that, and Valmont. But does that. I know, but I think it's different because if you compare like the costumes and the costumes of the people in France and like where, what was was it Germany in France? Austria uh -huh. in Austria, they're kind of similar. They might speak different languages, but a lot of the same cultural tropes and everything is very similar. So right. I think you can get away with that. Right. But uh -huh. when you're trying to depict Spain, it's like a completely different world, and I don't mm -hmm. think it works as well. The movie reminds me. The closest it reminds me to is that. Frida Kahlo film with like Salma Hayek which oh. I was so annoyed by it too because it's also in English it. and it's uh -huh. like in Mexico it's like come on it's and like Salma Sir... Hayek definitely speaks Spanish exactly so and she's great yeah. in it actually and I mean Javier Bardem speaks Spanish too so it's just it just feels like a wasted opportunity and I think what yeah. I, it, you know what this is like the bad Amadeus because <laughs> I think he wanted to make the same kind of thing with Amadeus which was like this fictional character fictional you know the same approach yeah but it just doesn't it doesn't work, and it's not charming. It's humorless too. For it's a, humorless for a Milos for a film yeah. Milos Forman film, like all his movies. It's devoid of have, humor, it, except yeah. for I thought it was really funny, and I don't think this is supposed to be funny. But when you first see, so Natalie Portman plays one of Goya's sitters that he made a painting of, um, and she ends up, you know, the Inquisition takes her in. She ends up being locked up at the Inquisition, but she has a child while she's in there with Javier Bardem's character, who's part of the Inquisition, who later becomes a rebel. Okay, so there's that. Yeah. Um, they're looking for this child that was born, and when you first see, when Goya finds her, and when you first see her turn around, it's also Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah, but just like different, so, her teeth. Yeah. Her teeth, teeth are different. kind of fucked up. They put some prosthetic on her. On, on <laughs> yeah, right. And darker, curly hair, yeah. whatever. Um. And I laughed out loud. I thought that was hilarious right. yeah, when, like, kinda... the same actress plays the mother and the daughter. Yeah, but it, it, I don't <laughs> so know. Stupid. I just think it's and, you stupid. know, there's interesting. There's a couple of things that I thought in, that I learned a little bit. Like, it was cool seeing a little bit how the Inquisition worked, and I enjoy that. 
Yeah. But this is not the right movie. I think both things deserve a better movie. Right. Goya deserves a better stories. movie. And The Inquisition deserves a better movie. But yeah. this is not the movie. I will say the very last... And I was very ready for this movie to be over. Me too. Um, but maybe that's why... The very last scene... That's why is, I like the last scene. The very last scene is the best <laughs> yeah, scene. Yeah, it is the and best And it, huh? it has a very kind of... We're not going to say what it is, but it has like a really wide shot that is very Foreman-ish. Like yeah. a lot of his movies has this really cool... It's like, like the most white Foreman shot. shot in the film. It's the only Foreman shot, funny. to be honest. Maybe it's the funniest it's funny. shot in the it's film, It's funny, too. It's so, it's so silly, and it's funny. It's silly. And but beautifully shot, too. It's beautifully so it's, shot, but that's the that's only the saving grace in this film. That, that yeah, one you end, he ends with the best Everything thing. else just feels like a waste uh, of time. If you're going to skip a Milos Foreman movie, skip this one. Yeah, and it's, not, time. And it's not the easiest one. Wait, it's streaming. It's yeah, streaming. I mean, you, you could can, watch it You can it find it in you Canopy. Yeah, you can but it's, watch it it's, you want. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> so the time has come, everybody, for us to rank Milos Forman's movies. Oh, yes. It's been a journey. Um, so there's 12 films in total. And the way we do this is we go from our number 10 down to our number 1. And then we release the golden turds to you, our bottom two movies. Well, the bottom one is really the one that gets the golden turd. Well, right, okay. But we'll say the number 11 and 12 um, after we do our top 10. So shall we start with our number 10 movie? Let's do it. Number 10 for me, Man on the Moon. Oh my God, me too. Number 10, Man on the Moon, twinsies. Number 9, Hair. Number 9, Valmont. Oh. Yeah. Number eight, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. Number eight, Black Peter. Oh. Mm-hmm. Number seven, Black Peter. Number seven, Ragtime. Oh. Number six, Amadeus. Number six, Loves of a Blonde. Number five, Ragtime. Number five, Amadeus. Number four, The People versus Larry Flint. Number four, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. Number three, Loves of a Blonde. Number three, The Fireman's Ball. Oh. Number two, Taking Off. Number two, Taking Off. Oh. All right. And number one, Fireman's Ball. And number one for me, Hair. You're number nine. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it, you guys. The two winners, the two best movies in our countdown, are Fireman's Ball and, and Hair. Hair. Yeah. And now let's do the... Who's going to get the golden turd, you guys? The, the worst ones. Mm, I Here have they a come. feeling. I have the feeling it's going to be the same. Okay, so my number 11. Mm-hmm. Let me start first, okay? Go ahead. My number 11 is your number three. Or four. you tell me, number four, The People versus Larry Flint. Okay. That was my number 11. And I almost changed it to number 12, but I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> and my number 11 is Valmont. Okay, yeah, that's to- yeah, totally. I see that. And number twelve, Goya's Ghost. Goya's Ghost. Yeah. It sucks. So it's it's unanimous about Goya's Ghost gets the golden turd for the Milos Forman episode of Ranked. Yeah. yeah. And our top two films are Hair, nineteen seventy nine, and The Fireman's Ball, nineteen sixty seven. Well deserved. Do you want to talk a little bit about after watching all these movies and having your countdown, just like a general feel that you got from uh, Milos Forman films? The middle of his career is so strong. Mm-hmm. That's, for me, that's where I get, well, I'd say the beginning, kind of the, from his transition from the Czech years into American films is where I really love his stuff, obviously. Hair, Taking Off, The Fireman's Ball, Cuckoo's Nest, kind of the, the 70s, late 60s and 70s uh, films. 
Um, I think for me, I'm definitely attached to his Czech New Wave stuff, and yeah. I think that's his best things, mm-hmm. except for the Black Peter. I appreciate the movie, but I don't think it's, it's, okay. the, it's the best. Which number was that for uh, you? Seven? That was, that num- was number seven, that yeah. That was number eight for me, yeah. Uh, but... I do think film. I do think like his first to me his first three like Fireman's Ball Taking Off and Loves of a Blonde to me those three Beautiful movies are films. golden they're yeah. like perfect films I feel like in general his American films are not completely consistent I like yeah. I like some of them and I like elements of them mm-hmm. but I think it's you know the editing seems to be they're always kind of too long sometimes and here's a question but I still like okay. them you know I still think there's a lot of I mean I still love them you know he's so great with actors and yeah. he really gets really good well that's what impresses me about hair I mean not only were they acting but they're singing and dancing too and you're definitely a musical I person I love not, that movie so yeah. that's why maybe mine got a little bit lower <laughs> I still appreciate it yeah and... well it's your number nine I don't know do you appreciate it anyway. yeah I mean for me like my movies I would say my movies from one to ten are movies that maybe I would want like I would watch again You'd even watch the ones again. that are okay. not top five I would watch again yeah the last two I'm probably never going to watch again. I don't think no, I'm ever going to watch Valmont or Goya's Ghost. Yeah, I don't think. I'll definitely never watch The People vs. Larry Flint again. Thanks for joining us. Right. And feel free to list your top 12 movies too, yeah, but you have to, to watch it. all of them. You have watch. to watch all of them. Don't cheat. Okay, bye.